It's been a while, I forgot how to work a toggle switch. Um, my skills fade very quickly, so we could be in trouble. Let's pray. Father, we we confess that you alone are worthy of glory. And Lord, I know how many times I live as though I deserve at least a little glory. I don't think I'm alone in that. And so, Lord, here we are in this moment that can sometimes feel very regular and routine and even mundane and can sometimes feel deeply sacred. And, Lord, as a bunch of people who at different times in different ways, feel like we deserve at least a little glory. We ask that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, to remember that you are on the throne, that you are the creator. And we pray that your will would be done in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Roughly uh, 10 to 15 years ago, in the rapidly expanding wild, wild west that we know as reality TV, somebody had the great idea for a show that what if we take a convicted but reformed thief and get an unsuspecting family to agree to let this person stock their home and break into it while they're gone and steal a bunch of stuff, knowing they'll get it all back in return. And not only did, we'll say for the sake of this morning, one person have that idea, but they convinced a whole bunch of other people that it was a good idea, including homeowners. And thus we came up with the show, and by we, I mean I was no part of it at all, uh, the show came about called It Takes a Thief, where some producers would come to some suburban family with a nice home and say, hey, we got this guy that used to be a criminal. He's not anymore. He now helps people with security consulting. He would like to stake out, stock your home, learn your patterns, break into your home while you're gone, and then show you how to make your home more secure. And people were like, oh, and we get to be on TV? Sure, we'll let a stranger stalk our family and break into our home. That sounds fantastic. And so people would do this. And this guy, they would show him, like he'd be like around the corner with binoculars or hiding behind some bushes or driving slowly by. And then eventually the family, you know, who starts out looking around every corner, realizes they're not seeing everyone, gets lulled into some security. They just go start going about their business. And one day they're all out doing something together. And on their way home, the producer stops them and goes, it happened. And they pull him into the back of a van, not shady at all, <laughs> and show them the footage of this thief breaking into their home, their dog being completely useless, <laughs> and then this person ransacking their house, tearing things apart, throwing stuff, stealing and destroying 
all these things that they've worked so hard to bring into their home and to make their home feel special to them. And sometimes things that were passed down through the family. It's a great show. The book of Proverbs, in addition to giving us the supremely high view of wisdom that comes when we have a right view of God in ourselves, also warns us about the habits and traits that will rob us of those treasures. And I want you to think for a moment, weird reality TV show aside, if you knew somebody was going to be breaking into your home. Not like, hey, I live in a neighborhood that has a few sketchy characters, and so maybe my house will get broken into. No, you know for a fact that sometime this month someone's going to break into your home. What are you going to do? You're going to be changing locks. You're probably going to get a storage unit and put a few things in there. You might get a dog that's not so useless or hopefully not so useless. You're going to call ADT. You're going to do all these things. You'd move your children away. You'd, you'd get all, all security measures you could think of, bars on the windows. And yet with that level of prevention in mind, how many of us regularly find ourselves concerned with things like personal pride, with laziness, strife, with a lack of self-control, with evil that exists and unrighteousness that exists not just in the world around us, but in our own hearts. How many of us get weary when we are concerned when we think, I do have all the answers and no one has anything to teach me? I'm guessing we don't give the same attention to detail on those as we would protecting our house. And yet the Word of God given to us through the Holy Spirit's work in Solomon, Korah, and others warn us about these things and how they'll rob us from the riches and treasures of walking in the wisdom of God and, the, and all that He has to give us. And so let us treat these behaviors and habits and mindsets as robbers that are lurking and looking for an opportunity to steal that which God has so graciously provided for us. And so the next few weeks, Adam kicked it off last week, and we're going to touch on what he said very briefly, but over, we're going to be looking at robbers that come to steal the riches of wisdom. And the robber today, his name is Selfish Indulgence. And this robber is especially dangerous. He doesn't Look, he doesn't, he doesn't hide out in the shadows or behind some shrubbery with binoculars looking for the right time to break in. No, here's what self-indulgence does. Self-indulgence puts on a really nice suit, walks up to your front door, rings the doorbell, feeds you a line that's so enticing, you welcome him in, seat him on your couch, and bring him snacks. He gets right in there, and then he pillages your life of God's good and wonderful gifts. Self-indulgence is concerned with 
only the self in the moment. It's not concerned for the Lord, not concerned for the neighbors, not even concerned for who you are next week, only right here and right now. And it's a major problem within Proverbs, and it should not be underestimated as he convinces us that we're already at the top of some sort of pyramid scheme. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, this robber's disguises, this robber's key lie, and then what are our defenses against this robber? How do we safeguard ourselves from this robber? And so first of all, the robber's self-defense has many disguises. And we're going to go through just a few of them. The first one, Pastor Adam talked about at length last week, and that's sexuality. And we live in this age where our sexuality has somehow gotten tied completely to our, to our identity, to where what you sexually feel is what you are. It's this weird twist on Descartes. I'm attracted to this and who this person is or whatever, and therefore I am. And Pastor Adam's message last week on the adulteress, he, he had a lot to say about God's standard for holiness. But this is a key disguise the robber will use and is particularly dangerous. There's the, the verse cited up there out of Proverbs 6, uh, verses 27 to 32, he basically says here, uh, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can he walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go away unpunished. We cannot dabble in sexual immorality without there being consequences that are going to spread throughout our lives. And it has, the, the, the sexuality disguise has, has a, a thought with it that goes very much into all the other disguises. And it's basically what I do is for me, and it's not harmful to anyone, so I should be left alone in it. But for our own well-being and God's love for us and the well-being of those around us, the Lord has given us stark warnings. The Lord has created us for holiness, not for sexual immorality. It's a sin against our body. It's harm for others. The next disguise is greed and want. And this is probably... The, the least sneaky disguise in self, self-indulgence. Proverbs 28, 25. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. And this is hardly a disguise at all, but if we go back in Proverbs 28, back just up a little bit to verse 22, we see a stingy man, one who holds tightly to his wealth. I've, I've heard of uh, some people as being described as they have deep pockets but short arms. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Verse 24 says that greed and want will rob even his father and mother and say, oh, there's no transgression in that. There's nothing wrong that, that this greed is, is a companion to the one who destroys. Greed invests in all the wrong currencies. I had a, the guy that was my youth leader um, at this, when he wasn't 
uh, preaching the gospel to a small group of us in Omaha at a small church on Maple Street. He was uh, somewhere in the Middle East with the Air Force, and he could never tell us about those trips. But he did a lot of travel because of that. And uh, he said one thing they like to do is if they had been in a country with just a crazy exchange rate to the U.S., they'd bring back like a $10,000 bill and just leave it on the ground in the airport close to the exchange place and watch someone grab it, see the giant number on it, run there and find out it's only worth a nickel. And that was one of the games they played because there's not much to do in airports. When we seek after greed, what happens is we start clamoring off all these shiny things that we think are going to make us happy. And we end up just completely empty of the treasures that God would give us in fellowship, the treasures God would give us in relationship, the treasures God would give us in His own glory. Because we invest in the wrong currency. The person who not only considers this level of greed, but acts on it is dangerous because material possessions and people all become lumped into the same group called objects. This is why Paul and James both strongly warn against selfish ambition and vain conceit. James 3.16 tells us where you find selfish ambition, you find discord in every evil practice. The next disguise is, is one that uh, is, is practically a pastime for our culture, and it's gluttony and drunkenness. This disguise, the robber takes on the role of ultimate consumer, consuming anything and everything in his path. It's self-indulgence and greed all mixed together. It's the epitome of taking a good thing that God has given us and filling ourselves so much with it that it creates, dis, it, it creates unhealth. You know, there's a, there's a big difference between appreciating the fine delicacy that is buffalo chicken pizza and consuming so much of it that a cardiologist somewhere names his boat after you. <laughs> there's a big difference between enjoying a glass of wine And becoming so intoxicated or addicted to it that you become a danger to yourself and the people around you. Are we able, with the fruit of the Holy Spirit being self-control, to take the good things God has given us and not so fully devote, not us to them, but devote those things to ourselves? To say, oh, Merlot and Cabernet, you exist for me. And in America, we have literally people who are eating themselves to death. And we have literal festivals on ESPN of how many hot dogs can you eat in a short amount of time. Making celebrities of Joey Chestnut, who... It's, it's impressive if you love disgusting. And we sometimes make a joke about this. But there's a strong warning in Proverbs 23. And we're gonna, after we go through these disguises, we're going to look at the lie behind all of them. But in Proverbs 23, what we have up there, verses 19 to 21, 
He warns. Hear my son and be wise. Direct your heart in my way. Be not among drunkards nor among gluttons, eaters of meat, gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. They'll be, they'll be so consumed with filling their stomach, they're not able to work. They're not able to do the things that God created them for. And I know that, I mean, I, I personally preach freedom to enjoy, but freedom to enjoy is very different than freedom to be overcome by. And I'm the grandson of a man who lost his law license because of the bottle. And I take it very seriously, and there's warning after warning in Scripture of drunkenness. And I've, I've never met a single person who, after being drunk, said, I had the greatest idea and the most productive time, and my family's better for it. But I've seen time and time again where alcoholism and drunkenness have destroyed. Don't let food and wine ruin your life. Don't let them take you down. Don't be consumed by that which you are trying to consume. The last one, and another one that we joke about, is laziness. And in Proverbs, laziness is sometimes, depending on your version of the Bible, it might be the sloth, it might be the sluggard, it might be the slack. In the ESV, we were given the title, The Sluggard, and in, and in chapter 26, there's a little bit of a comical depiction of the sluggard. You, you get the feeling Solomon's kind of making fun of this guy. The sluggard says, oh, there's a lion on the road. There's a lion in the streets. And as the door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. And the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer sensibly. The sluggard, the lazy disguise that can overtake us by trying to put us at the top of a pyramid scheme that doesn't exist, says, oh, it's too dangerous to go and do that thing that I need to do. It's too risky. It's much better to sit here on my couch. They are so much attached to their bed that it's like a door in a doorway, and they see no need to improve themselves as they have clearly arrived. I know more than all of those people. The robber will take on this disguise and convince you that the work is too risky, that you're just too tired, that the job is too big for you, and that you've already arrived and therefore have no need to grow and improve. You see how backwards and double-sided that is? The work is too much, I can't do it, and I know too much to be taught anything. How could anyone think both of those at the same time? And yet if we're honest... And if we've struggled with laziness, you've probably seen both of those at the same time within yourself or within 
Maybe a matter of months of each other. There's a phrase in Proverbs 6 that we see quoted a couple times in Proverbs. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Poverty comes in like a robber. I don't need to do that. And we have, we have words for this. I use, I use the P word for this sometimes. I procrastinate it. I'll put it off. Do it tomorrow. All of these disguises are used to trick us in to walking away from the treasure that God has given us. And they do so because self-indulgence has a key lie, and that key lie is pretty simple, but it's really effective because the truth of the matter is, whether or not you would consider yourself to have a low or high self-esteem, we all like ourselves, and we all like what's doing best for ourselves. So over and over again, I've seen the various disguises of this robber destroy families and businesses and ministries. And the problems that come from the robber of self-indulgence are far more than just adultery, sexual misconduct, and embezzlement, although those are the ones that grab the most headlines. The robber is divisive. It's grabby. And through the lie it preaches, it can convince even believers to act opposite of the love they were shown through God who gave so much of himself for us. And yet we would say so much of others needs to be given to me. In the words of our mission statement, it would be saying, I experienced God's love and now I need to experience your love as well. Instead of extending the love God has given to others around me. The deception of selfish indulgence takes a hard turn at the beginning of knowledge. Remember Proverbs 1.7, that the beginning of knowledge is the, is the fear of the Lord. And instead of having a reverent view of God, knowing that he is the creator, that he is on the throne, and that we are creation subject, subject to him and accountable to him, this deception seeks to remove God from the throne and place us in his seat, declaring that we deserve to be the center of pleasure, affection, the work of others, and any other delight we seek. It declares ourselves as worthy. Instead of a fear of God, it is a fear of self. If I don't have enough, my life will fall apart. If I go out on that risk, if I go and work, then I won't be able to sit here. And, it, it, and the whole point of greed is to fill yourself as though you are the point of it. It is a reverent view of self that sees all these things, sexual morality, greed, gluttony, laziness, drunkenness, and it robs wisdom from the very beginning. It gets to the root of wisdom. It believes that we exist for ourselves and should gain whatever pleasure by whatever means. And it is a denial of the path that the Lord has laid out for us. It builds on our ego and pride 
It thrives on the idea that I am just fine the way I am if only I had a little bit more of and then fill in the blank. But it is a lie. And we combat lies with the truth. We combat darkness with the light. The truth of the matter is, I nor any one of you in here are on the throne. We don't deserve anything. I am serving the one on the throne who seeks my good by leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, not so I can have this budding reputation and all the power and influence I would want. None of us are accountable to ourselves. We are accountable to the Lord. And we will all stand before God. Remember from the text last week, Proverbs 5, 21. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The Lord is pondering my paths. My ways are before the Lord. This leaves me in a pretty helpless situation because I've seen my paths. I've seen the way I walk. And it might stand up good next to the way other people walk. But it falls dramatically short of the glory of God. And so how in the world, knowing that the Lord is pondering my paths, knowing that this robber is pretty convincing at getting into my house and sitting on my couch and telling me to do things, how, oh how, am I to stand a chance? To guard against the robber of selfish indulgence is to embrace the richness of walking with the Lord in wisdom. I have three little points here, and because I'm a preacher, they all start with P, and so there will be a test next week, but there's an alliteration, so you should pass. There's no test. You can come back. First one is purpose, and specifically, this is a fuller purpose, and it's a much fuller purpose than myself. If I'm living for my own glory, that's going to fade out pretty quickly. There may have been a time in my 20s that I felt pretty, like, invincible. I've, I've heard enough parts of my body since then and woken up from the wrong position enough times since then to know that if I'm the end of the glory of everything, I'm in a lot of trouble. My body is wasting and fading away every day. Wisdom reminds us that, of God's intent, that we walk with Him. It reminds us of our current condition. It reminds us of the redemptive will of God. And when we walk in wisdom, in the fear of the Lord, we are reminded that this life is not for me, but it is for so much more. There are eternal things happening. The believer can look at his life and say, I have been made and redeemed by the creator of the universe who has not only adopted me into his family, which comes with an eternal inheritance, but he has put me to work proclaiming his great name among all peoples. 
Self-indulgence would deprive me of this purpose by tricking me into thinking that my happiness for the next five minutes is the most important thing I can fixate on. It would deprive me of the joy of seeing growth in my own life, of seeing growth in the lives of those around me. It would deprive me of the joys of fellowship. And it would deprive me of, of, of just the richness and history of what it is to be a believer. We are here today at Westchester, we as a group of people, because in 1883, 16 people got together in a building at Penn and Lyon to start praying and studying the Word together. Think about this. We are able to be here in this room because of all the believers in, in our church's short history who have worshipped together and committed themselves to the Word of God, who have committed themselves to Christ-like living, to mutual accountability, to studying the Word, to growing, to not staying as they are, and to working hard for the sake of the Gospel. And the point of them doing that was not so that in 2022 we could have a pretty decent building and have some fun and, and do some things and sing some songs. The point was so that God be glorified in Des Moines until he returns. And we as our church are one small part of all the churches in Des Moines who are focused on that. And we have the ability and the opportunity to be gathering together, studying the Word, doing this hard work of the Gospel, so that in another 130, 140 years, people can be in here studying God's Word unless Christ has returned and praising His name and shining the light of the Gospel into the community. That is an infinitely bigger purpose for your life than the best all-you-can-eat buffet, than sleeping in until 1.30 in the afternoon tomorrow. It is an infinitely bigger picture of your life than you having just a little bit more in your bank account at the end of the day. Let's get out of ourselves and live for the purpose God has given us. He has made us part of something much bigger than ourselves. The next one is proper prosperity. I know prosperity is kind of a swear word in the church sometimes. But as you read Proverbs, the benefits of walking with the Lord is prosperity. In Proverbs 6, he has very direct words to the sluggard. Go to the ant, O sluggard. You who think you're wiser than seven people, go look at the ant and consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief or officer or ruler, she prepares bread in the summer, gathers food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. God has designed you and designed us to be fruitful and multiply to grow and to prosper. And so we look at the ant 
The ant is motivated. The ant doesn't need a boss. The ant works hard. The ant has a reward. The ant is prepared for the winter. So much of what we take for granted as God's provision comes from living a right walk with the Lord and conducting ourselves well. You work hard, you earn some money, you spend it wisely, you don't waste it away. At the end of the year, hey, I have some money in the bank. You don't, you don't blow it on like countless cases of bush light. And then take this principle of being motivated, of not needing a boss to bark at you to do everything, of working hard and enjoying the benefits of that, and apply that, just let's set aside the idea of employment and saving and money and having food and being able to have a big meal at Thanksgiving and all that stuff. Let's, let's set that aside and let's look at your spiritual walk. The benefit of setting your alarm clock a little bit earlier every morning so that you can have time to wake up to sit in the quiet with the Lord, to pray, to read and reflect. And even if that's 15 minutes a day, let's say you're doing nothing and you start at 15 minutes a day. By the end of the week, you've spent almost two more hours with the Lord than you would have otherwise. Laziness would tell you that Sunday morning sermon and Sunday school lesson is enough. Maybe listen to a song on the radio that makes you feel all good, whether or not it's biblical. And that's good enough. But let's dig in. Let's prepare. Let's ready ourselves to walk with God and enjoy His goodness. Let's have proper prosperity that, that not only has financial benefit, but, but spiritual benefit. Let's have, let's have proper prosperity that enjoys food and wine without recklessness and future regret. And this is touchy. I know that, that some of you can do this now. You can, at the end of the day or with your dinner or a couple times a week, pour a glass of wine and enjoy how it, how it pairs with that steak you have or whatever cheese you can't pronounce. And that's great. And there's some of you who are going to get to heaven and you're going to be like, Jesus, I don't know who brought it in, but there's wine up here and you're going to be really concerned. <laughs> and there's, there's some of you who are choosing on earth to not touch the stuff because you've been so hurt by the abuse of it. And that's fine. And there's others of you who... There's certain things in life that you just don't have self-control in. And so you say, I'm going to wait till I get to heaven and can enjoy this without sin interfering with it. And that's great. But walk in the prosperity of learning to enjoy good things God has given you. Because that is part of the prosperity. And, and if and if alcohol is completely off the table for you for any of those reasons or more, really get into iced tea or coffee. Find that thing you can enjoy. And finally, protection. And protection 
this really comes from two things. We need to protect us from ourselves. Because there's not a single one of us in here who is actually wise enough to do perfect in this. There's not a single one of us in here who's completely above self-indulgence in its various sinful forms. And we, and so while we're protecting ourselves, we're also protecting what God has given us and made available to us. Let's go back to that analogy of that show, It Takes a Thief. Let's say someone came to you, not a TV crew, but someone came to you and they said, your house is going to get robbed within the next month. You go through all the precautions we talked about earlier, but let's say they also said, not only do I know your house is going to get robbed in the next month, but this guy's going to do it. And they hand you a photograph, like a really good, not like a regular camera, like an iPhone quality photograph of this guy, like in portrait mode. And they say, this guy's going to rob your house. If you are remotely sensible at all, you're going to send that picture to everyone you know. You're going to send it to all your neighbors. You're going to send it to the police station. You're going to post it on your, all around your house. You're going you're to make it the wallpaper of your phone for the next month. So anytime you see that guy, you know you need to beware. The Word of God has given us that composite sketch. There is a robber coming for the richness that the Lord has given you. And this is what he looks like. Would we repent every time we see him in our homes and our lives? Would we be like a neighborhood watch? This is why gathering is so important to us as Westchester. That we can have brothers and sisters in Christ that say, I saw that guy creeping around your house. You got to take care. You better build some fences. Let's work this through. Let's make sure that robber doesn't wreak havoc in your family and in our church. God has called us to walk with Him in a specific way. And when we do that, there's richness. So let us commit ourselves to that together by the grace of God and help each other when these robbers come lurking in. As the praise team comes, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've given us all that we need for life and godliness. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. And Father, so many times I know in my own life, I just miss those gifts because I'm not looking in the right place or because I'm too concerned with myself. Lord, would you fix our eyes on you? Would you set our gaze to heaven and help us to walk with you together? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.